This podcast contains information, theories, and speculation based on the A Song of Ice and Fire novels by George R.R. R. Martin. It can and will spoil future episodes of the HBO television series Game of Thrones. This is your one and only spoiler warning. If you're looking for our non-spoiler podcast in Game of Thrones, please look in our feed archives for our Sunday night instant take and Tuesday afternoon full podcasts, or go to baldmove.com for our entire catalog. Hey guys and gals, welcome back to the spoiler edition of the Game of Thrones podcast. We're a podcast now. You know, you got me on it now, so the bods are in full effect. (laughs) That's right. We're 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 going to we decided since the books have caught up or the show has caught up to the books, we're just going to turn this into a fitness podcast and talk about how you can maximize your Game of Thrones bod. The Westerosi fitness program. Going to be interviewing uh, uh, the the mountain that rides. Uh, Gregor Clegane, see what his uh, how many eggs a day he eats, all that kind of stuff. No, and, and Tim Ferriss, of course. Sure. Uh, no, this is a um, this is a, the spoiler version of uh, the Game of Thrones podcast, and uh, I'm starting to realize as I was preparing for the last day or two that this is going to having a, a second person on here is going to be interesting, especially a person that uh, we are going to be slowly breaking into the spoiler side <laughs> of Game of Thrones. Uh, because uh, I've realized that there's only a certain amount of topics that I can broach that you are probably going to retain. Sure. Um, but I think that's important because I'm, I think there's going to be a lot of the more adventuresome show watchers now that they've heard uh, that, you know, everything is getting caught up, that they're going to get they're going to give in temptation and, and taste the forbidden fruits. So they're going to be in the same spot as you. Uh, so I feel like a little bit of this explanation of background stuff is going to be great. Um, but. You know, before I was entirely scripting, you know, essentially my my thoughts, and I had them all mapped out, and I had all my research at at, at, at my fingertips. Uh, and this time, I'm probably, you know, you're going to ask me questions that I'm going to give off the top of my head because that's right. The, one of the yeah. secret sauces for our podcast is we don't script any of this stuff. We come with a couple bullet points. And all the conversation is kind of organically based on we don't talk about it beforehand. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is going to be something where uh, it's not going to be like the stuff that the show has just talked about this week. It might be something I read three years ago, you asked me. And so I might might get a few things wrong, a few details wrong. Um, As always, I'm happy to make corrections and uh, get things straight. But just want to set everyone's expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this so so far has been a kind of a book reader only joint and – you know, now that now that it's we're kind of doing a blended thing, uh, I just want to make sure everybody knows that there might be some getting off into the weeds, and like I won't anticipate where some of these conversations go. Also, if you sent me questions, uh, I'm I've, I've opened up yet another document where it's like, okay, this isn't time sensitive, and this is going to blow Jim's brains, <laughs> so I'm going to put this in a document and and sling it in it later on um, to, to bring it up. You know when we don't have so many topics to introduce, so I want to talk about that. And also, I was just thinking about my reaction to the show, and I guess Jim's reaction versus a lot of the people on, especially the more um, book purist side of the internet. And I guess 
I kind of came to the realization that we assume good faith on the part of the double D's, uh, David sure. Benioff and Dan Weiss, where I think that a lot of book readers, when they see changes, they assume that there's incompetence or meddling or, you know, they're taking creative license. I, I until I see concrete evidence, evidence elsewise, I'm going to assume that they're trying their best to film Game of Thrones straight up. And they have to take right. shortcuts. They probably don't like to take shortcuts. Um, and they're on a tight filming schedule. And they have those limitations to work with. And also, they, they do other stupid stuff because, you know, they're at various, you know, levels of informed and ignorant and clued in about different things. But I do think that they have their heart in the right place. So, uh, and again, until I see some real, real egregious stuff. Uh, I, that's that's where I'm gonna be be rolling. What about Dorn? Can I ask you about Dorn? Like, well, how do you feel? Because that's the thing I was going to. I was about to transition into okay. my book because because I kind of kept a little of this under wraps on the the main podcast. Uh, the things I didn't like about Dorn, uh, Ario Hota or Hota uh, was who is the big um, bodyguard who had the fancy axe got stabbed in the back. He's kind of a badass in the books, and I was expecting some badass stuff like. I, I don't mind him dying, but the fact that he just died to a, from a Dirk, mm-hmm. I thought that would have been a great opportunity to show some real Sand Snake mojo, you know, to have okay. maybe a three-on-one where they take him down or a two-on-one where they take him down. The fact that they were just kind of disposed of did in the same way that I felt a twinge of, of sorrow for Bear, uh, you know, Barristan Selmy going down, even though that was kind of badass. I know that he does a lot more interesting things in the book, and hmm. it hurt. It stung a little. Okay. Um, but I'm assuming that the plot line of Dorne eventually going to war with the Crownlands, uh, with, with, with King's Landing, is going to happen in the book. I don't think that that is just a curveball. I think that that's... Yeah. And, and, and the Double Ds are sitting here and looking, geez, how can we do this? Uh, okay, we're going to go this way. Lots more to talk about on that, because I think uh, that we had we had some uh, people chiming in with some really good thoughts. Well, my, my question was more along the lines of, like, you know, this good faith idea with the Double Ds. Uh, it's my understanding that the Dorn stuff has been some of the most significant deviations from the book. Sure. Um, it's, it's a real Kirkman-style remix, honestly. Right, and also it's been some of the weakest stuff in the show, I think, but, uh, kind of by far. Yes. Like, uh, I mean, consistent, more consistently bad yes. or more consistently weak than the rest of the show. So how do you feel about that? Like knowing that they're going off script and the stuff they've done that's most off script is also the weakest. Well, again, uh, again, that's the assumption of the good faith. I'm guessing that they know where the plot is going um, from George's perspective. Right. And they're, they're aiming towards that. So it's not immediately obvious. Like, um, I guess my big but, question but is why have Dor- Doran at all? Why have Prince Doran? Um, but and king, why? Are, and, king? And, and, is he and, king? Yeah, he he's was a king. prince. They don't have. I mean, he's he's not. They don't have kings in Doran. Well, none. There's only one king in Westeros. Um, okay. Oh, right. But it's interesting. So Dorne's got this interesting history where they're the lone kingdom that wasn't outright conquered by. So he used to be king. 
No, they, they, they were all, I guess it was a principality. Oh, okay. So, but they're the one that they continue styling their leader as, uh, you know, a prince, as, as kind of, uh, you know, that's their whole unbent, unbowed, unbroken thing. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know that anybody else in the kingdom would get a lot, would get away with doing that, but they weren't conquered. They got, they got, you know, yeah. married in, uh-huh. and kind of, uh, unaf- uh, a peace made. So they're kind of allowed that, that little grace. I think the the main problems there, and, and this is kind of all over Reddit. It's it's what made me start really thinking about it. Is the motivations aren't great um, there? Like we we hear a lot of words coming out of Alaria's mouth uh-huh. this episode, but we don't see a lot of that. We don't feel a lot of that, right? Yeah. Like the people hate you. They think you're a traitor. Like they they think you're weak and a coward and. Uh, aren't defending the the crown like you should be, or not the crown, but yeah. you know uh, our our kingdom, mm-hmm. the, uh, the dignity and integrity and honor of it. Right, we don't see any of that. Like we've never seen that. But how? So how would you show a leader who's isolated from his people's opinion? Well, I I'm not like, a writer. Show, like I'm I mean, not a writer. I, I, I know, but would you show like know. riots right outside his gates and he just can't hear them? Or he's... they did it pretty well with Daenerys, right? I mean. A lot of the decisions she's made, she was making led up to kind of a revolt of all the people. But and that was based on a lot of cultural misunderstanding, like right. her coming and doing one thing and thinking she'd get this reaction, whereas Do- like Prince Doran, I don't know. And the other thing is in Prince, like there's a lot it's, of... It's just a problem that we haven't seen it, and all right. we get is the exposition, and it feels super flimsy because of that. You're right. And that's part of what makes it feel bad, and to me, that's the fault of the writing. Like you can know where the plot goes and yeah. work toward getting there. But that's kind of where the writing falls down in those scenes. Yeah, but so the thing that's cool about Dorn, um, the, the so let's, let's suspense with Prince Dorn for a minute because we're going to get to him. But the, okay. the, the whole idea I keep coming back to is because really Dorn going to war with King's Landing is not that interesting. That's just yet another potentially unspoilt kingdom for the Winter War that's going to be thrown into this useless blender. Right. So that's just more, kind of par for the course. The really interesting things are um, the Sand Snakes are dispatched throughout the kingdom to do various tasks. And one of the interesting things, hmm. okay. uh, which I talked about in, in a few podcasts, because it's kind of um, it's it's kind of very uh, low-key, the fact that he introduces this at the very end of Dances with Dragons. But one of the Sand Snakes has been sent to the Citadel, and she's huh. posing as a boy okay. that's uh, like an acolyte, an and and you know there there's 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 something significant about them being there, and I feel like that that is a very critical part of the plot in a way that Dorn isn't. But how do you introduce those characters? And also, Prince Oberyn is so awesome that you know there's this kingdom of Dorne. it's almost like oh man how can you get to the sand snakes plot and have the readers not go like what the hell happened to Dorne? they kill one of their princes and it's everything's cool i get it's tribal combat and, and all that kind of thing that's one of the things yeah. people are so pissed at like you know why is alaria so mad like this is kind of what Oberyn wanted yeah I mean, he was... didn't want this but but he, he chose it he was he trying to it. get his revenge yes. they got the best of him that's it's not... all illegal yeah but that's the other. And it's thing all of, fair too. It's not like they were. But that's the thing about medieval politics. Like everyone talks about the rules when it serves them, but when they don't right. like the rules yeah. and they have the the might behind it, then fuck the rules. I'm going to get what I want. Sure. I'm going to do a rebellion. So I I have to think that there they had to connect the dots between Prince Oberyn because you cannot tell the story without the mountain and the viper. Holy shit! 
Okay. And right. then they need the sand snakes for whatever sand snake espionage crazy stuff they're going to get up to later. Yeah. So they needed a way to connect those dots. It's unfortunate they couldn't give Doran a little bit. Not Doran, not Dorn. Couldn't yeah. give him a little bit more of because in the book he's he's kind of um uh you know this cuddly teddy bear kind of guy. Uh well he he actually said between you know, the Oberon is the the viper is bearing his fangs at you. I'm the snake in the grass. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and he, everyone thinks he's weak and ineffectual and just taking this, but he's actually got these really long-term plans to fuck the Lannisters. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that they couldn't get a little bit of that in there, but then, you know, if, if that, that could be 20 extra minutes in a season that's already full of bursting. Sure. On the other hand, sure. this is a short episode. I get why people are upset. and I think, if anything, they maybe should have postponed it a little bit longer, right? I mean, we don't have the book yet. It's not like they are on a super crucial timeline here. Well, but Sam's got to go to the Citadel. Right. I mean, they are kind of on a timeline. How, right, but how, how long will Sam be at the Citadel? I don't. I honestly don't know. Like, I don't either. You don't either? he just okay. arrives at the end of... I mean, like I said that's gotcha. one of the things where the books are kind of right there with the show right. currently. So I guess I don't know what kind of timeline they're yeah. on, but it feels like... It's one of those things where, yeah... The, like, they kind of pushed it a little too fast for me. But it's two ships passing the night, and yeah, the ships can slow down, but eventually they're going... They can't stop. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know. I, that Until... I. Yes, I don't think I think Dorn's not that's the thing. I don't think Dorn's the most exciting thing to show and there's a lot of bad things about it, but there's also mm-hmm. it's not the most exciting thing in the book. I suspect a lot of that stuff is red herring anyway and there's also some dumb stuff in the book. So I think that again, it'll be interesting to see. I'm very interested to see years from now when these books come out how we as fans synthesize these two materials and whether there'll be a, a, you know, a kind of reconciliation where it's like, well, I guess the double D's weren't as bad as we thought, Mm -hmm. or if it'll be even worse that like, Oh my God, this thing that George came up with was so fucking elegant. And the show is such a pale imitation that I I don't know which way it goes, but again, assume good faith. I'm assuming that, that they're steering the ship by the true North star. Okay. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is kind of how old Melisandre is. All right. Because the actress, uh, Van Houten, Van Houten uh, mentioned mm-hmm. in an interview that she uh, she was told that she was 400 years old. Huh. And there's not a shred of evidence for that, her being ancient. There is that, you know, her, Melisandre being old and glamoring herself to look like a young person has been theorized based on a few, like, uh, you know, the, the red, the ruby necklace is, is is a big thing because, so in the books, she burns Mance Raider alive, just like she does in the show. But in the books, what you didn't see is that she actually put some kind of ruby bracelet on a rattle shirt, the Lord of Bones, the guy that had the big skull on his head. Okay. Hit, and, and glamored him to look like Mance Raider. And they burned him instead. As like as a, as a, and and she, then they use Mance Raider for something else, which I'm not going to get into right now because your mind will be blown. Okay, but because of that and the fact that she's got this flashing red ruby thing around her neck, it's like oh maybe she's glamming herself. And in her in some of her few POV chapters at the end of Dance of Dragons, she has visions and dreams and recollections of her being a slave girl and being sold for various reasons because of some physical similarities from other characters like the three three-eyed raven and, and uh one of his old lovers 
Some people have speculated that she is actually the daughter of the three-eyed raven. That's the old man who's up in, in the, the trees. trees. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so this has kind of been a popular thought. And the other thing that's cool is, like, if she's from 100 years ago, she could be related to the 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 the, the blood raven, the three-eyed crow. But if she's 400 years old, the exciting thing about that is that she could have been around to see the doom of Valeria. That's, mm, you know, okay. the, the the thing that, that, that destroyed the continent that the... Um, that all the Targaryens came from and then conquered Westeros. And there's some mis- hmm. mysteries around that, even in the universe. And it's kind of like this thing that no one knows a lot about. And she could shed some light on that. So there's not a lot of hard evidence about what her age is. Um, but those are the kind of the prevailing theories. Okay. The final thing I want to talk about before we get the feedback is the burning of the ships what the fuck? Because that was one of the reasons I kind of hung my hat on the fact that, you know, we're going to talk about this, this Greyjoy plot, um, and, uh, the Kraken and, and all this stuff. But what I don't get is one of the reasons I thought that they're not going to do the King's moot plot. They're not going to do the Greyjoy plot and, and introduce all these new characters is because Danny was gifted a hundred ships because of Dario's, you know, daring do, uh-huh. And why the hell would you give her enough ships? One of the main things that the uh, everyone's excited about the uh, Greyjoys coming to ally with Danny is that they are a sea power, and we're hmm. assuming that okay. Danny's going to have a Kalasar. Danny's going to have all these Unsullied. Danny's going to have a yeah. couple badass knights with her, and that what? But how's she going to get across the sea? Well, boom! You got the premier seafaring uh, the kingdom in Westeros coming to gift you their fleet of ships. All right. And a marriage, uh, some kind of marriage alliance. Yeah. And I was like, well, they've introduced 100 ships, so we don't need that. I don't understand why they did that and then immediately burnt it. It seems like it's just a way to keep the show fans engaged. Like, next season she'll get the Westeros, we promise. (laughs) Like, here's the 100 ships. And the way the books where it's like, oh, oh, I get it. Uh, the, the the Greyjoys are going over. Victarion's coming over with his big fleet. Ah, that's going to be how... there was nothing for that on the show because they weren't getting to that whole plot line. So if you just went a whole season without addressing the fact that she's trying to get the Westeros at all, people would get in pay. I don't, I don't know. That's the one thing that I don't get. Now it I, seems entirely redundant. It does. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you, do we know for a fact, do you know as a book reader that Daenerys is ever going to get to Westeros? Has she gotten no. to Westeros yet? Okay. In fact, she's she's out fucking around with Drogon, just like she is, and she's that's right. where okay. we end. In fact, yeah. That so when you say you know a, a breadcrumb for readers to say, hey, she's going to go to Westeros this season, you're entirely speculating. Like there, there's nothing to say she's actually going to end up. No, going I'm not. To I mean, it's it's yes, I, it is it is speculation. Okay. However, you know, we only have as. I mean, this point forward, roughly two seasons, a little bit more than two seasons left. So but, if she doesn't get the Westeros, what the hell? But you're you're assuming she needs to go to Westeros. Like she could be killed. She could whatever. Like there's a lot of stuff that could happen. Maybe I just don't know the other yeah. theories that are out there and the other information. No, it, it's, but... it's a literary theory. It's it's a meta theory that like at some point you can't just keep killing off people that you've spent five books with as POV. Like what the hell is the point? Okay. 
Like I, yes, I just want, like you're stating it as fact, and I'm I'm coming into this. Going, yes. Whoa, whoa, whoa! No, no, wait you're a entirely second. you're entirely right. Okay, you're entirely right. But there's a fine line there because, like, yeah, you kill off Rob in book three, uh huh, and and there's still significant like deaths and and things that happen and shocking things to come. But like, eventually, if you kill off John and you kill off Arya and you mm-hmm. kill off da- uh, you know Danny, like, what the hell is the point? Sure. Are you going to introduce an entirely new cast? Of, you know, it's like you completely recast the entire book series, and these are the actual heroes, and George is just fucking with us for five books? <laughs> right. Like, at some point, it's like, yeah, maybe one or two more, but good Christ. Uh, so that's that's kind of my thoughts going into the feedback about how I thought about the episode. Hey, want to make a quick pitch for our premium club.baldmove.com feeds and features? If you go to club.baldmove.com, you can sign up for as little as a buck a month. And a primary benefit for you, you're going to skip all the future ads because we got ad-free feeds. we also got a lot of cool bonus features for you Game of Thrones fans. Not only do we live record our main podcast, Instant Take. Instant Take, that's the best, fastest way you can get it. We start recording like 10 after, 5 after. And everybody else has to wait longer for us to record it and edit it and publish it, all that stuff. So you get it immediate. Uh, the other benefit is we get extra features, such as uh, we're doing a playthrough of the final chapter of Telltale's Game of Thrones video game, where we ineptly pilot various houses of Westeros against each other. And we try to, th- we try to take the path less taken. Like, if you're the average gamer and you're going to do A, we try to zig and go and do B with sometimes hilarious results. Uh, also, we did a spoiler um, reaction thing where I, I showed Jim three of the most uh, popular uh, fan theory videos on Alt-Shift-X, and then we recorded his reaction to it, and we had a little kind of mini-debate and discussion. That might be interesting. And we have one other surprise we're going to start working on this week. It might take us a couple weeks to get it together. But it, it especially if you're a, a big board gamer, uh, might be something you're interested in. Uh, but it's going to be a happening season. It's a great way to support us, too, because the only way we can do one podcast, much less three a week, uh, is because we do this on a full-time basis. So go to club.baldmove.com if that sounds like something you'd be interested in and you'd like to help us out, and we'd certainly appreciate it. Let's start with G from Pasadena. This is super interesting. Um, so there's a site called makinggameofthrones.com, which is a official site from HBO, and they catalog like the behind-the-scenes making of Game of Thrones. And this week, they showed some high-res cop- uh, shots of the, the different props that they used. And one of the props was the letter that Prince Doran gets. Yeah, I saw this. From King's Landing. And you can actually read what the letter said, and this kind of ha- talks to the plot hole we talked about as far as, you know, how did Prince Tristan get murdered, and how did the Sand Snakes get there, and what was Tristan doing on that boat. Uh, the letter reads as follows. The Princess Marcella died by poison on our return journey. This is written by Jamie Lannister. Yeah. I suspect Alaria, not you, but my sister will demand war. I doubt Alaria's head will appease her, but it is a start along with your nieces. Your son cannot stay in King's Landing. I'm sending him back on the same ship. Now, this resolves the plot hole of, like, what ship was he on and how did they get there and why wasn't he being guarded, etc. Right. Apparently, he was on, like... Even though they showed him clearly in King's Landing's harbor, and he was painting uh-huh. eyes, that he was on his way back. That Jamie Probably was going to sticking send him around back. to you know mourn the loss of Marcella, right, for um, a day or two, and then head back. But that to me, this 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 raises a lot of questions in my mind. Like, why does Jamie have the authority to do this? Is this something he's assuming? Like, this should be the king 
and the small council's decision. And that's a oh, very... I, I'm not sure they know that he's doing this. Like, no, I the, know. Because he's sending Tristane back, you know, to keep him from Cersei and right. being used as a pawn and all this stuff. And, like... But when he says that speech to Cersei about fuck everybody, right. we're going to take from everything and blah, blah, blah. If he was already in that mindset, why would you trade away your best political ch- – like even if you don't suspect Doran, uh-huh. the way to keep him compliant with your demands like you need to murder uh, your quasi – you need to murder Ilaria, you need to murder your nieces uh, – you know, keeping his son as hostage is a good way to do that. Maybe he was thinking it's better to have this good faith gesture. I don't know. That doesn't seem very Games of Thronish, right? I'm with you. Uh, and also, it shows that you know Jamie's capable of freelancing to a degree that I found a little bit shocking. And also, hmm. I we know that he's right right to not suspect Thorin, but yeah. I don't know a reasonable person, a cautious person, which again, Jamie Lannister really isn't any of those things. It makes Jamie seem a little bit as foolish as his sister, which might be a point. Yeah, I mean, the the way that Doran just let them go, uh, you know, he wasn't there to... He didn't take advantage of the, the situation they had him in. They had Jamie in. Yeah. So maybe he was assuming mm. that he would do the same for Doran. But if this was Doran's plot, that's exactly what he'd do. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, Owen, we poisoned your... Of course. Yeah. So I... But yeah, then again, why would he l- let... Less than cautious. The fact that he let his son, like, I mean, that's pretty cold-blooded to put your son in that kind of harm's way. Right. So I guess that's a good indicator. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that... And I don't know, again, why we couldn't get a minute or two to establish that stuff going on. Because... Mm-hmm. If we didn't have this scroll on this making of site, none of this discussion would even be possible. Yeah. And that's the other thing. What's your opinion on this kind of stuff? Like, uh, if it's a production detail that didn't make it into the show that you couldn't even read or see, is that canon? I think so. I is mean, it canon unless it's directly contradicted? Because obviously if, you know... Yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. If Jamie throws him in prison in the screen, but the prop says that he let him go, then we got to go with what's on screen. Right. But in absolutely, absolute, you're saying if there's no conflict, we should accept these production details as... Yeah, I mean, if that's what the actor was looking at, and that's mm-hmm. the canon that's in the actor's head, I think that's probably a good a good start, okay. uh, good indicator. Okay. Uh, Michael K is going to be another... A rabbit hole probably to go down. Oh boy. I found it interesting how Danny threw out the line, till the sun rises in the west again. Given that Tristane is dead, this seems odd. Who else might be the sun from the west? If it obviously was re-mentioned for the purpose, do you have any thoughts? Okay. So, re- review slash refresher time and slash information time for Jim. Mm-hmm. If you'll recall when the Magi, Magi woman, I think her name is Miri, uh, Miri Mun... Durr. Uh it's it's the slave woman that Danny rescued from being raped from the Dothraki, the one that did some black magic with Drogo to try to save his life. Ends up she in, in turns out she uh, turned her into a vegetable, turned him into I a vegetable. Vaguely remember her, and she ended up getting burnt to death from revenge by Danny. When you know she had done all this stuff and stabilized Drogo, and he's a vegetable. Danny's like, you know, when is he going to come back? And she said, when the sun rises in the west. And sets in the east when the seas go dry and the mountains blow like the wind, or blow in the wind like leaves when your womb quickens again and you bear a living child, then he will return and not before. Is it? Are, 
aren't they just saying never fucking never just, that is the the plain reading of the situation is she's right. saying never yeah this is what you get no, saying good I, luck with that that's right how and, and that's what everyone thought until dance with dragons oh boy because so we, we talked about this Dorn plot mm-hmm. prince Doran had this long-standing agreement with Illyrio, who was the the person who um, took in uh, Viserys and Danny, the the brother and sister, uh-huh. that he was going to marry his daughter to Viserys, and then they were he was going to then support Dorne was going to support the Targaryens' return to power once they came of age. Okay, and that was his long revenge plan. He's going to kick out the Baratheon usurpers and the Lannister usurpers and have his revenge, and he gets this big. You know, this shocking reveal where he's like, yes, this is my plan all along, and you guys are just too stupid to see it. Hmm. So he sends his son, in the book it's his son, uh, Quentin, uh, across the narrow sea uh, un- undercover to go make this, you know, give this proposal to Danny because he's got the sealed document and everything. Now, of course, the plans change somewhat because it's no longer his daughter to Viserion. It's his son to Danny. He goes to propose to her. And a lot of people realized, you know, the, the sigil for the House Martell, who rules Dorne, is the sun spear. It's literally a flaming sun right. with a spear. And people notice it's interesting that the sun literally did sail from west to east to fulfill that part of this quote-unquote prophecy. Okay. Just by landing there. Mm-hmm. Um, when the seas go dry, Danny at the end of Dance of Dragons, she's in the Dothraki, what, the, what they call the Dothraki Sea, which is this right. big grassy yeah. area. And it has started to turn brown and wither because of the... I can't remember if it's the climate or if it's a seasonal thing. So the seas are starting to go dry. And if she's going to take all these Dothraki with her as an army, couldn't that also be a figurative seas going dry? Yeah, you're right. Taking the people out of the... The land that could be, and the mountains blow in the wind like leaves. That could be an allusion to the 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 Gregor Clegane being killed. Your wound quickens again because she does one of the curses that she put on her that she couldn't have children anymore. At the end huh. of Dance with Dragons, Danny's bleeding either from a period or some people speculate speculate that she's having a miscarriage. Hmm. So it's like people are like, well, holy fuck! This is something that happened in book one. There's a lot of poetic ways you can interpret these prophecies coming true. Right. And if so, what the hell does that mean? You know? Good question. Uh, okay. So that the fact that she mentions it again, and the fact that we're kind of in this point of the the books as well, could be an indication that these theories that that prophecy had some things to it. It wasn't just a cold blooded way to say never. Right. Uh, that could be coming around. Okay, I'm on board with that. And Sounds good. There's a lot of other ways they could, but the thing is, that here's the problem. Oh no, the door. That part of the Dorn plot got completely wrapped up. It did. Yeah. So how are this? How is the sun going to rise from the west and go to the east? Uh, is that going to be some kind of sand snake mission? I, I I don't know. So you don't have any. I know you said this in the the full cast, but mm-hmm. maybe you couldn't get into it because it was spoilery. You don't have any indication of who's going to take over leadership at at Dorne. In the in the city, it seems there. like it's going to be Alaria. Although there's you know feedback that's like that's kind of tough to swallow that a bastard, right? Yeah, you know, and I think I did a, mention that. A, so no, a bastard I don't. lover of a prince, like yeah. You made that point. Like she's not married she's not even to married. Oberyn, it's, and she's not a lady, right? Uh, which you know she's not of any kind of noble lineage. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, how dead his his plots are. Will now someone is... come in and get the presidential talk? Like, look, here's all the shit that's been going yeah. down. You need to get on board and forget your campaign promises because 
Now, D- Dorne does have a tradition of having ruling women, though. And, okay. Uh, and so that's a little bit... I, I don't know if they're going to put a Larry on the throne or what, or if there's going to have uh-huh. some kind of legitimized daughter. I, I, I don't know. I really have no idea. But um, What about... What about her... The Sand Snakes are her daughters, right? And Oberyn's daughters? Yes. What about one of them? Uh, right. Well, you still got the problem that they're they're bastard daughters of a bastard daughter. But of a rightful heir, the, the son... But who would legitimize them? I don't. Because that's know. the thing. Like, Doran could have. Oberyn could have. But I don't know that Alaria can. Because she doesn't, like... She'd have to be legitimized and have then some kind of authority to legitimize them. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know, and that's Shit. the other thing. Okay. Is like, does the average show watcher know this much about the bastardry and how all this stuff works? Probably not exactly, but they probably have a general feel, given what we know about yeah. John and Ramsey. And but that's a big question: whether the double Ds are like, uh, we're going to do this and hope no one notices and no one asks okay. any questions. Because uh-huh. again, we're just trying. I, I the way this thing is kind of slipshod. I I just don't feel like they feel as passionate about. Dorn as they do about some of the other stuff, and maybe they're just trying yeah. to hastily get to the good part. Like, oh, Oberyn is awesome. This middle part's kind of, but in game's awesome too. But yeah, I guess Danny's you know involvement there is kind of cut short. So like all of those master plans have just been just had their heart stabbed. Well, that's the other thing. In the that's the other crazy thing in the books. Quentin he goes there. Danny rejects him because he's she's already married um, the Miranese guy, uh-huh. and then. He goes and decides when she the, to to go try to tame the dragons himself when she goes missing. Like I, I need to be bold, and the kind of Tyrion puts the bug up his ass that you know you your your cousin niece or cousin aunt are, is not going to respect a boy coming to her and being bold, uh, passive. So he decides to go down there and try to tame the dragons, and he gets roasted alive. <laughs> so where's Which, this Quentin guy in the show? He's, uh, he, he doesn't exist. Well, tr- so Quentin is the older brother of Tristan. Right, Tristan. It's po- we all thought that maybe this was where Tristan was going to go until he got sold as a hostage. Uh-huh. Now I have no idea. We don't know where he is in the show. Like he I don't has think he, he been is. mentioned? No, uh-huh. he doesn't exist. Uh-huh. Oh wow. So okay. Now maybe I wonder if there's going to because we know there's some flashbacks coming back to the Tower of Joy. I wonder if there'll be a corresponding flashback to a young Prince Doran making a deal with Illyrio, who they've already established in the show, where okay. they say that, hey, we're going to make the secret of marriage alliance, yeah. and turns out that Illyrio's had Quentin this whole time, and no one's known it. So Quentin could conceivably come back and sit on could. the Dornish. I don't know whether showrunners would would accept that, and how many flashbacks they can get away with. <laughs> right. I, mean, I don't yeah. know. It almost feels a little retconny in some ways. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get more into the Grey Joy thing here. Isaac R's email. Okay. In the spirit of Martin's Razor, uh, are you familiar with that? Because no, I I don't think so. That's my idea of that. If you've got a bunch of characters with kind of similar geogra- geography and motivations and character traits, that the double D's oh, you tend combine to them. combine yeah. them to 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 make narrative simplicity. Right. Uh, so in Spirit of Martin's Razor, I have a theory about Danny and her need for ships. I know that casting news suggests that Euron and Victarion Greyjoy are going to make appearances this season, but I predict that it is Theon who sails to Marine with a fleet at his back. This way, Theon, who is in the show, has a lot of time invested in, can continue to have some major improvement, or sorry, some major involvement in a prominent plotline. It can be a way for Theon to prove himself to his uncles, who probably would want to him uh, to give him some kind of test before trusting him. Hopefully, by the end of the season, Danny is sailing west with Greyjoy ships full of Unsullied and Dothraki. Thoughts? All right. 
So I don't know I, anything about these other guys, but I know I like Theon. Yeah, so there's this <laughs> there's this plot in the books, which has not come to pass in the show, where Theon's father gets murdered, assassinated. Okay. And the way that the Iron Islanders select their king is it's not by... I mean, there's definitely blood counts for something, but they have this thing called a king's moot. Right, you told me about this. Where all of the it's kind of like a political convention where all the guys come together and and gals in this case mm-hmm. uh, because Yara it's throws sister. her uh, hat in the ring. Um, they they give a speech about why um, uh, they 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 all get together. They all gather together and they give a speech about why I should be made king or mm-hmm. queen. And then they pour a bunch of tribute, and that's an important part because they're all, essentially all pirates. So they have these big treasure chests, and they spill it in front of everybody. Like this is this is the, this is what you get for voting me. I mean, money in politics is just straight up how much cash you got. Okay, and everyone has like a bigger and bigger chest. So Victorian is this like he's probably the most respected fighter. He's like their best sea captain. He's their best battle strategist. He's their uh, best military leader. He's a physically imposing specimen that can like kill guys with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has got this um, really stormy relationship with his brother Euron, who's more of a like a Jack Sparrow type of pirate. Uh, not in that he's silly, but he's more of a you know like a conniving, scheming. Uh, people say he has magical powers, and he's got he's got this weird eye that can foresee the future and all this other stuff. <laughs> he, he kills people with his squid hands. <laughs> but he's also been he's also been away from the Iron Islands for a long time because he got uh, him he he he's sailing all over on the Undying Lands or over not the Undying Lands over in Old Valeria, uh, where the Doom of Valeria is, and uh, he comes back as a surprise at the king's moot, and he has this dragon. He has this horn that he says he found in Old Valeria oh, that shit. can control dragons. Okay, and he also has the most treasure of anyone, and he gets made king. Winner, boom. Yep. Yeah, and he uh, decides to give Victorian the task of taking the fleet, uh, the 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 Greyjoy's fleet, over to Danny and proposing a marriage alliance between himself and Danny and giving her these ships and then telling her about the horn. And then he says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, he's essentially, I'm going to make the iron islands great again because mm-hmm. iron islands have been kind of a vassal kingdom for a long time. And none of them like it. Cause they're all a bunch of pirates. So he's saying Isaac here is that Theon's going to be the one that sails the Marine. I, I don't know because yes, that kind of seems awesome for him to do, but then what are they doing to Victorian? And also right. how, like, Theon seems like his fate is bound to Sansa and Brienne. At this point, sure. How are they going to shuffle him off to the Iron Islands, get he'd into have the to King's meet up with, with, Yeah, he'd have to meet up with a lot of people that we haven't seen either in a very long time or at all. Uh, it might be difficult. Yeah, so that's the big, the, the big problem is, like, you're, you're already duplicating a role that someone else has. And if if if... if Victorian hadn't been cast, I would suggest that you'd I'd, I'd be more open to the idea. Oh, fact, he's been cast. Yeah. Oh well, shit. Yeah, that's like I, I just don't see it happening. Right. I I would have applied the razor and just said, yeah, they'll they'll dispense with Victorian. But but no, hopefully by the end of the season, she is indeed sailing west. That would be an awesome like you know ending awesome montage that they yeah. do. Um. Viv and there's a lot more about the Victorian stuff. It gets kind of crazy. <laughs> okay. But it's, we'll the time's that. not right. Viv W. says, in the books when Cersei is given her future reading by Maggie the Frog, Maggie told Cersei that she would be killed by a Valonqar, 
which means little brother in High Valerian. I feel as though Arya will be the one uh, to take down Cersei using Tyrion's face, which would fulfill the little brother prophecy. I'm not sure if anyone has suggested this theory yet, but I'd be interested in seeing what you guys thought of it. So, Jim, just so you know, other than the whole three what? three hmm. children of gold and that you'll have and three shrouds they'll bear and all that stuff, um, there is something in the books where she prophesies that this Valonqar, which is a word meaning little brother, is going mm-hmm. to uh, murder you. Now, Cersei in the books, um, and they kind of got this a little bit in the show, suspects Tyrion because she's always thinking Tyrion's out to get sure. the family. Yeah. And for good reason. I think Tyrion legitimately is out to get the family at this point. Yep. There's been a couple other surprise suggestions, um, like, for example, uh, Sandor Clegane, the Hound, is a little brother. And if he's still alive with the whole okay. Grave Digger theory, maybe he could somehow, that, that, would be a, that would be a twist. Another twist is Jamie himself, uh, I believe was born uh, after, even though they're twins, he was the second one born, so he's also technically her little brother. Okay. And there are a lot of good plot-based reasons why he might find, you know, just get fed up with her and strangle her to death before everything's said and done. Uh-huh. This, what do you think of this Arya taking over Tyrion's face, which would imply Tyrion's dead? That this would be, like, kind of backdoor fulfilling the prophecy? I don't know if I like uh, it. I don't know. It might be interesting. I... So to get somebody's face, do they have to put them through this process? As far as I know, the, the faces, faces can only be taken over if they're dead. Now, dead and processed, or just plain like dead? Anyway, no, no, like, no. There's a take whole. John's there's, face? there's a okay. whole. Like that's what they were doing in those corpses. Right, I thought heavily so. implied that's what they're doing in those and, corpses. And spoiler alert: mm-hmm. uh, in one of the the upcoming episode like previews, I saw we see uh, Jack and Hagar taking someone's face off, like literally. Peeling the face off of someone in that room, mm-hmm. uh, and I presume putting it in the Hall of Faces. Right, and there's, a, there's also there's like a big long ritual about how they get the face the face to adhere. Um, okay. So, <laughs> all right, yeah, I, it's not just like a glue stick. No, 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 it's it's <laughs> not. They gotta like you gotta wet it with blood and do this whole thing. So, no, I don't think that Tyrion would have to be dead. Now, I don't know that for a fact because there's so much about the Faceless Men we do not know. Right. But everything that I do know does not suggest that they can take a living person's face and just go walk around with it. That seems like it'd be OP. Or even if he died in, like, Essos, how would they get his face, right? So there would have to be a lot of stuff to bring the Faceless Men to Tyrion or vice versa. and, 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 And he's not on Arya's radar at all, right? No, like not where, at all. where would that connection be? And Marine and Bravos are, are real far ways away. away. Mm-hmm. And I've even questioned whether, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the Spoiler Podcast, whether Arya is even going to get to kill all those names on her list, um, at least sure. with the Faceless Man's Blessing. And also, yeah, yeah. there's no way Martin's going to have her literally kill everyone on that list, because that would be dumb. Like, if she's got 12 names and she's just crossed them all, like, that's that's... You're it's a lot a, of that's names. That's Kill Bill. If it were three names, I'd say sure. Yeah, yeah she'll, she'll, she'll do it. That's a lot, and she's already it there's is. already been people murdered that that she wasn't responsible for. So, right, right. And there's people on the list like the Hound, who she might not want to cross off at this point. Yeah, maybe uh, if he's still alive. The whole grave digger theory thing. I don't know. I I like the Jamie idea. I mean, that seems. That seems totally possible. Yeah, to me, like I, the more they stretch that relationship, and the more Cersei pushes him, because she's kind of been pushing him lately. Yeah, but it's, so here's the thing that blows my mind, hmm. and I'm wondering because they keep on. I feel like that's this is something where they're trying to straddle the fence for some reason. It's not working for me. Uh, in the books, 
Cersei and Jamie are definitively on the outs. Wow. Like okay. Tyrion has planted in this idea to uh one of the last things he tells Jamie is, you know, your sister has been fucking Lancel and the Kettlebacks and Moonboy, who is the the court fool for all I know. And at, at, that's the way he's, he that's the last words he says to Jamie. And as Jamie goes forth and the rest of his POV chat, that's like echoing in his brain. Like Okay. Cersei's an awful person. I've kind of changed a little bit with this Brienne situation. I'm starting to make my, my face turn. And I'm realizing not only is she awful, but she's not even really faithful to me. Like, I'm not that special to her. Right. And and, to, and at the end of when, when Cersei has to face her trial before Robert the Strong turns up, she sends a crow to Jamie that says, you know, Jamie, all, all is forgiven. I love you. I love you. I love you. Please come and save me. And Jamie crumples it up and like throws it in a fire. Wow. Okay. And they're not there yet in the show. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, because they, I kind of thought they were. There was a point where like yeah. they, I felt like they were clearly on the outs, and their relationship was mirroring nicely, in not the same ways, but kind of tonally. Mm-hmm. And now they've kind of like thrown them back together, and I'm confused about why they would do that. Right. And I'm not seeing the thing. I mean, maybe the situation with Dorne is going to be the thing that tears them apart, like mm-hmm. once and for all, but. But they did. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it hasn't. That was all on the table this episode, and they're all swearing. Right. If anything, Cersei seemed like she was less into him than he was into her because he's all trying to make her feel better, and she's just looking depressed. So yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, Luke B continues, or not doesn't continue. He starts a new thought. There's no way, knowing what we know from Thoros, Beric, Lady Stoneheart, and the books, that John can come back right as rain. He's been dead for way too long. I'm not saying John can't come back as some kind of vengeance zombie corpse, but do we really think any of the people in that room, even Davos, would follow a Lady Stoneheart version of Jon Snow? I think my theory, theory fits better. Mel is going to glamour Davos to look like Jon. This way, it appears he has risen from the dead in an almost Christ-like resurrection. In this way, Mel's vision of seeing Jon ride to right. Winterfell comes true. Uh, it also gets them out of that room because I'm pretty sure the Night's Watch could t- would turn on Alistair in a hot second if Jon Snow walked out of that room calling for his head. Uh-huh. Even if Ed comes back with the Wildlings, would Alistair really let them out? Having Davos appear to be a healthy Jon Snow solves this problem. It also buys him an episode or two. Wow. Can you, I mean, like, so he glamours, she glamours him to look like Jon just to, like, you know, fuck with the Black Brothers and get him to back off while they resurrect him for good? But that's the whole thing. It's like, yes, he's been dead too long, and if they bring him back, it's going to be more Lady Stoneheart, and it's going to be more Beric Dondarrion. Mm-hmm. But the whole theory of him warging into Ghost is he's essentially using Ghost like a refrigerator to preserve his consciousness. So even if he comes back as a you know, zombified or white-looking corpse, he's going to have his full faculties, and he won't be kind of like a revenge-driven, insane person. Okay. And that's uh, if hmm. you don't buy the theory that Lady Stoneheart is being animated by the 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 three eyed crow, or that Jon Snow will be, you know, meat puppeted by Bran. Like, there's a lot yeah. of competing theories here. So I I got another one from. Uh, I, I know you've talked about this necklace a little bit and the the bracer that she gives to someone else. And, yes, uh, to Mance, um, or or to a guy who she makes look like Mance. Yeah, brown uh, shirt. What right, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Skeletor. Uh, uh is there any chance that 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 she could snap this thing on? I got this from Twitter. Somebody tweeted this at me. Could Uh-oh. she snap that thing onto John? Like bring him back, snap it onto John, and then he's not 
dead too long. Now he's like somehow oh, that healed or glammed into so regular he, John. So so he his mind is preserving ghost. Uh-huh. And his body gets resurrected, but he looks all fucked up. Uh-huh. So he gets his full consciousness back from Ghost, and she glamours him so he, he doesn't look like a fucking weirdo. Right. Which saves so he on just the makeup like and John. effects budget. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. That's not that a bad idea at all. That kind of cool. Because I'm leaning more toward, like, this necklace is helping her glam. Helping mm. her stay looking young. Sure. I agree. Uh, I think that's what we're, we're being led to believe anyway. Right. I mean, you know, we talked about potions. We talked about season four bathtub scene. I don't sure. know what that says about it. But I, I don't know. I'm on. I'm on that train. That's a great. Syn- I think that's a good synthesis of the ideas because right. It w- it mean, seems like there are a lot of moving parts. Like pe- people sure. might roll their eyes and go, "Really? We needed all of this to right. get this job done." Right. But I mean, don't sleep on the fact that like glamoring Jon Snow would save a lot. It'd save Kit Harrington like six to eight hours in a makeup chair <laughs> a day. <laughs> it certainly would. <laughs> I mean. Uh, rather than be full on white Jon Snow, that that would be an interesting way to do it. And I don't understand from a book perspective why you'd do that. Also, does the thing even fit on his neck? I mean, is that is that thing going to clasp? Right. Come on. <laughs> right. Well, maybe he puts it on his uh, wrist or something instead. Does it okay. have to be on his neck? I mean, the the whole Ma- Mance Raider thing suggests that no, it yeah, it's not the location; it's the jewel. It's, but that's the other thing. Is like I don't think the jewel itself does it i think that she it's the jewels like a capacitor for whatever magic that she yeah can spend time and effort imbuing that so she then doesn't have to concentrate and she it can just kind of like sure i'd buy know, that it's like an energizer battery uh trevor d said the game of thrones cut a scene in the first episode of season six i based this theory on a few points the episode itself was shorter than the full one hour given uh, and previously on was much longer than we've seen in the past. I propose that the Double Ds wanted to begin Season 6, just like Season 5 with a flashback. A scene we've seen bits of in the trailer is a young young Ned Snark. At, young, Ned Snark. young Ned Snark. God, he's just so snark. Nobody likes to be around a snark. Right. Of the house sarcasm. Uh Young Ned Stark at the Tower of Joy. Young Ned Stark actor Sebastian Croft's IMDb page a few months back stated that he was in Season 6, Episode 1. That has been changed, showing no mention of this hmm. episode. I contend the Double Ds decided to back up the truck for the storyline. It's certainly a stretch, but it's worth mentioning. Um, first of all, I know IMDb has been wrong about that stuff because, you hmm. know, for, number one, that stuff can be edited by anyone. And then it can be officially right. edited and all that stuff, but like especially months out, there's a lot of fan fuckery and and you know borderline hacking and stuff that goes on, and that's yeah. burnt us in the past and other shows. Uh, secondly, I do feel like something big got cut, and maybe even at the last minute because it does seem an awfully short runtime, and there was an unusual amount of missing connective tissue. But okay. I don't. I, it, maybe it was like it was a tower joint. Like, oh, we need to pull this out for later in the season. I don't. I don't know. But it does feel like there was a few missing parts. Yeah, I think you know it makes a lot of sense to have that flashback scene in the episode where more information about that is revealed. There, yeah. There's some bigger reveal there, and that clearly wasn't in this episode. So maybe they realized that and said, "This doesn't belong here. Let's put it in episode two or three or whatever." Yeah. Uh, Matt S from New York City said, "I was watching the season six trailer again." And watch the clip of Tyrion appearing to go the way of Quentin Martell. If you'll recall, Jim, that's the uh, prince of Ober, uh, not Oberyn, Doran that he sent to treat with Danny. She he gets right. barbecued. Yep. Of course, I don't think that scene will be at the end. Uh, be the end of Tyrion. I just assumed it was sneaky editing, as you suggest. But 
What if it isn't just clever editing? We know that the Targaryens, or perhaps just Danny, are fireproof or not is a contentious topic. But what if all Targaryens are fireproof, or at least all special ones, like dragon riders or whatever? And what if Tyrion is about to suffer the fate of Quentin and get burnt to a crisp, but instead comes out of the flames unscathed, thus opening his eyes to the fact that he is, in fact, a Targaryen? Is that possible? Am I sitting here thinking I'm halfway brilliant, but really just reciting some previously discussed theory? Will we get Dinklage full frontal nudity when his clothes all burn? <laughs> well, he went if you there want on that, Saturday Night Live. Right. I mean, go, go to Naked and Afraid spoof. Yeah. Uh, isn't there a theory floating out there about Tyrion Targaryen? Indeed, that he is a okay. secret Targaryen as well. That he's the illegitimate son of the Mad King and uh, 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 Ty- Tywin's wife. Okay. And that... And there's there's a lot of evidence. I actually did a full all blown on podcast on this. If you go ah. to the um, Spoiler Podcast archive that's in the show notes here, um, you can actually go and find the secret Targaryen. I think it's called Secret Targaryen. Um, or maybe it's Dragon Rider theory. I can't remember exactly w- what it is, but uh, I discussed mm. evidence for him being a secret Targaryen. That'd be great. And none of that stuff is in the books, unfortunately, because a lot of that is internal monologue of like Tyrion when he was young, and you know a lot of stuff mm. that uh, was told like third hand in the books that you kind of have to piece together. Having him just, like, if the show establishes that the Targaryens are fireproof, and I get it, like in the books, they're Definitely not. That is the word of God. That is the word of Martin. If they emphasize that in the show, uh, and that's a plot point, that's an easy shorthand to kind of... I don't think that's where Tyrion's, like, eyes open up, but I think that's the first thing that he might think, what the hell? Okay. Uh-huh. And, you know, that that could be an easy way for the audience, because it does seem like a lot of show watchers assume that Targaryens are fire-resistant. Sure. Because they did a really good job of pushing that point in season one. At the very least, it would have them thinking he's a Targaryen because we don't know of anyone else who's ever resisted exactly. Dragon's Fire. So, exactly. Uh, that's a reasonable place to lean if they and, show it And that again, way. not consistent with the books, not consistent with Martin, right. but if it, it's a way to definitely streamline things. And it would fulfill my Tyrion dragon riding prophecy. So sure. let bring it on. I'm sure. all for it. Uh, Joe K says, uh, so here is a Jon Snow coming back theory co-developed with my lovely wife. We both believe Jon's parents are Rhaegar and Lyanna. Nothing new there. Mm-hmm. If we are correct about his parentage, that makes Jon a Targaryen, obviously. The question we found ourselves asking is, what happens to a dead body of someone who is truly dragon-blooded when subject to a funeral pyre after death? That's right. <laughs> Two fireproof Targaryen emails in a row, people. Jesus. Well. Possible answer, the Targaryen yin, fire yin to the White Walker ice yang. What say you good sirs about the song of ice and fire theory? Essentially... What does he mean by the yin and yang there? Well, I mean, so I know the John the is already yang. Starks are ice, Targaryens right. fire. Uh-huh. You've got a a snow and a Stark being burnt on a pyre, so that's ice being subjected to fire, and that's going to be the thing that fully, you know, solidifies him as. So will it res him? Is that what we're we're saying? Yeah, that that's an alternative thing, like there's some okay. kind of magical. I think we might have had a. You know, a, a half thought out uh, uh, theory on the last podcast is kind of suggests this too. But yeah, there's something magical that's going to happen in just that combination. Okay, um, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I do like the theory that John is both ice and fire. Because um, yeah, why would I mean if Targaryens are fireproof, it's certainly not some kind of biologic thing. It's got to be some mm-hmm. kind of mystical thing. So anyway, yeah. The more I think about our R equals L plus J. Or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is, 
No, you got it. Uh, Rhaegar plus Lyanna equals Jon Snow. Oh, R plus L equals J. The more I think about it, the more just dead on right it sounds. Like, I can't imagine that that's not what the song, a song of ice and fire is about, like, at its core. That's what I'm saying. I'm 99.9% sure. In fact, depending on a running time, I might do. I saw a really awesome tinfoil theory that I think is batshit crazy. Okay. But it's super interesting. I might try to articulate it to you because I don't know it dead and I don't have a lot yeah. of notes for it. Mm-hmm. But I got the high points. Um, and maybe we maybe we save it. Okay, maybe we that, save it for too. like a John Snow. It just comes came out back. Like a couple days ago, so I like the idea of breaking tinfoil. Ah, but um, okay. anyway, uh, Doug L says so. Melisandre reveals at the end of her episode, at the end of her episode, that her appearance is a glamour. The show has never used glamour powers before, but in the books it's revealed that Mance Raider is still alive and Melisandre used her powers to make it appear as if he was burned. Mance then went on to play a pivotal role in helping Theon and fake Arya escape the Winterfell. While the Winterfell aspect may be past, do you think the show went out of the way to show Melisandre's glamour power as a one-step reveal towards, or I'm sorry, a step one reveal towards explaining how Mance Raider could return? So this is the theory How that- would that work at all? They would have to ret not retcon, but they'd have to show some explanation for the man that we saw as Mance Raider being burnt to death was not actually Mance Raider, and he's still alive. Uh, but that's I don't a lot. Like that's that. what I'm saying. Like at a certain point, there's too many fucking people brought back to life because and that and the, I just straight reason- don't like it from a storytelling standpoint. Like we're gonna say that this thing you know you saw wasn't actually what you think you saw, and yes. And also, since the, that the reason that was important is because he was sent on a mission to rescue what John thought was Arya. Okay. It turns out it was nobody. That's the thing. Like you know, Sansa, oh really? That... She finally accomplished her mission, huh? She became no one. <laughs> no, it's uh, some some girl, just random girl. Like I think her name's Jean Poole. Like, okay. like one of Sansa's late uh, girlfriend girlfriends huh. that was married off pretending to be Arya Stark. Well, All the right. Boltons were pretending just to give themselves some legitimacy, and most people that would have said, "No, this is bullshit. I know what Arya Stark looks like." Were dead at this point, so they could get away with it. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a significant amount of deviations. But it always feels like it's something a little bit more elegant. Like instead of glaring this guy and doing all this stuff, just have Theon rescue. You know, grab her hand and jump off the the edge of the tower. Like, all right. But I don't know. So like, do we want to make it more complicated? Do we want to continue using Occam's razor? I guess that's the question the Double D's probably ask themselves on a day by day basis. Uh, I, I want to say they're setting something else up. It's not going to have to do with Mance and his glamming. It's going to have to do with yeah. maybe Jon Snow, maybe something else with Melisandre entirely. Yeah. Well, with Sir Alistair's guyliner, I don't know how much more glamming we can <laughs> right. afford. Uh, Zach O.B. said, just listen to the first spoiler podcast episode for the season where he mentioned Cold Hands as a white. However, I've always assumed he was one of the green men from the Isle of Faces. What the fuck? Yes. <laughs> 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 His appearance fits their description. He rides a big elk, which they are known to do. I'd say Bran's story will reveal the pact that the children of the forest had with the first men in the Isle of Faces. And this is the reason the children are working with the green men and need a Stark, someone with the blood of the first men, Bran. You lost me. Yeah, I did. And I'm not, I don't care to explain this to you because I'm okay. about to issue my, 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 uh, the following problems with this theory. Number one, it introduces yet another party. So that's a violation of of Martin's razor. Uh huh. Two, I don't know that I agree with you that these meets the description uh, in of, of cold hands because, as you say, 
the men of the Isle of Faces, they actually have, they're said to have antlers growing out of their head. They do ride elks, yes, but they have like a dark green skin. Here's how Cold Hands is described in the book. I, 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 I cribbed this from the wiki uh, of Ice and Fire. Cold Hands is a dr- terrible masseuse, uh, <laughs> just a b- abysmal nurse. Yeah, you don't want him anywhere near sensitive bits. <laughs> no. Uh, Cold Hands is described or is dressed in the mottled blacks and grays of the Night's Watch with a scarf that conceals his face. His hands are black and as cold as ice, and he rides a great elk. A flock of ravens flies under his command. He does not breathe. Uh, Summer uh, is men- mentions that he does not like the way. Well, I'm sorry, Summer doesn't mention. Summer is the dire wolf of Rickon. <laughs> Okay. Uh, does not like the way Cold Hands. No, no, I'm sorry. Summer's the uh, dire wolf of Bran. Mm-hmm. Does not like the way uh, Cold Hands smells. Dead, dead meat, dry blood, a faint whiff of rot, and cold, cold, cold all over. Though Cold Hands is often described as dead but still alive, his eyes are black in contrast to the light blue of the whites and others. He's thin and gaunt, and his voice rattles. I feel like this guy is definitely white material. That does not sound like the Green Men. I'll I'll defer to you. <laughs> so. Um, there you go. Now, like in the books, I, I don't know. Uh, somewhat related but separate. The crypts of Winterfell have always only had Stark kings. The tradition was broken by Ned when he put his sister down there. Now in Bran's weirwood flashes, he sees some crazy sacrifices in front of the heart tree in Winterfell. I feel like there is some sort of secret that Stark kings passed down, but the secret was lost when Lord Rickard and Brandon, his heir, were both killed by the Mad King. Thus leaving Ned alone to pick up the pieces, not even knowing about the pact he is supposed to keep. He might be to blame for the White Walkers. Maybe the Starks were supposed to give sacrifices, much like Craster has. All right, so let me mm. unpack this for you. Uh, Lord Rickon, uh, uh, Rickard, rather, was uh, Ned's father. Okay. And he was the Warden of the North, and he was the ruler of Winterfell. His son, Brandon, was the older son of Ned. And he's speculating that, like, what if there is this long family secret that's handed down generation after generation, the same way that this phrase, a Stark must always be in Winterfell, is significant to the books? Uh-huh. The fact that, like, maybe, and, and, and Bran sees these hideous human sacrifices where they're spraying blood on the trees and hanging intestines from the branches. What if the Starks are supposed to, and this is a dirty little secret they keep, do some kind of human sacrifice to appease the White Walkers? Because the the two the both the king and the heir the lord and the heir were both wiped out at once. Those are the only two guys that have the secret, yeah. and then Ned didn't know what to do, and he lets women into the boys only club, and now all hell breaks loose. Oh man, yeah, uh, that could be it, or it could be. Uh, when did all the Starks leave Winterfell? It was a while ago. I don't know how it lines up with the the winter coming. Right. Uh, but right now we know there's no Starks in Winterfell. Well, that's the thing. And I don't think that can trigger the White Walkers because it seemed like they were on the move before. But yeah. I've always suspected that one of the plot points is going to be the White Walkers. They're not evil and they're not necessarily assholes. But mm-hmm. they're there because the men were supposed to be doing something and it's part of a long bargain between them that they have stopped doing. Yeah. And it's an easy... You know, with with the, the human sacrifice, we know the Northmen used to uh, can, used to do, and with Craster keeping himself in their good graces by doing the human sacrifice, that's an easy connection to make. I think so. It's a hazy one because right. you can't just draw a line right from point A to point B. And but, it assumes you know that information was lost somewhere. And yes, and it assumes Book Six will do something to to make all this make sense. But yeah. there is definitely you can see where okay. There's not a bridge over the river built yet, but I see the pylons that might connect. Right. 
Um, so yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Let's move on to Rich E. No word whether he is in fact rich. One interesting thing to me that I didn't hear you mention regarding the wall, Alistair Thorne gives what I thought a great speech about how Jon Snow let the rapists, murderers, and thieves south of the wall. Well, what he's not saying is that 90% of the Black Brothers mm-hmm. are in fact rapists, murderers, and thieves who took the Black to avoid rotting in a dungeon. Yep. It really only shows the difference between the Watch and the Wildlings is that where they were born. John clearly has the right of it. They're all in the same and need to unite against the others. Good point. I like that a lot. In fact, I probably should have saved that for the, the main cast uh, next week. But uh, the next part is spoilerific. It's so why that's why I got landed in the spoiler part. Uh, one thing from the episode I didn't like as a book reader was Dorn. And no, I'm not asking for the Dark Star, and I hate the Quentin plotline. But in the books, Prince Doran has a plan. He wants revenge on the Lannisters, but is playing the long game. He doesn't join with Renly or Stannis or Rob because he has his own plan to not only get revenge, but to make his daughter queen. He's smart and patient and seems to be a formidable adversary. On the show, he's nothing but the weak man Alaria sees. He won't go to war, and he has no plan to get revenge. He's letting the Lannisters off the hook because he's afraid of them. He's a weak ruler with no idea what is going on around him. Hmm. He has an intimidating guard who is killed instantly. The rest of the guards betrayed Doran, and he is killed with that resistance. I thought it was more interesting in the books that the Marcella plot was to crown her as queen rather than to kill her. Alaria and the snakes killing, 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 killing a teenage girl and their own cousin makes them completely unlikable as characters. Naming Marcella queen, however, would create the war they want and is a much smarter idea as you can hope to win allies as well. As a book reader, what really worries me about this show-only plot is that it seems less thought out than the rest of the stories. The intricacies are all lacking. The characters seem much more one-dimensional. Doran is weak. Alaria and the snakes are ruthless, but have no forethought. This is the elaboration I mentioned earlier on in the podcast of like why a lot of book readers don't like what's going on in Doran and why it feels superfluous. It's like, if you're going to not do Doran right, why do him at all? Yeah. And that's where I like. I honestly don't know, except for something about the Sand Snakes and their activities must be pivotal enough, and the fact that you have to get some kind of closure with Oberon, since the fans, you know, that would be like Ned getting killed, and you never find out what Rob did about it, right? Nah, he maybe got mad, maybe called a host, maybe he got murdered by his, you know, the in a marriage alliance. Who really knows? Like, you would have that kind of situation. He was mm-hmm. such a fan favorite, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, those are all good po- uh, points. Anything you want to add? Uh, no. Cruising on to Dana J. Two small things to suggest. Have you considered that John has already warged into Ghost? Sure. I, I didn't talk about this on the podcast, but is there any evidence? Like, to me, I was looking for it, but Ghost seemed like baseline loyal di- dire wolf concerned about something going on with his master. Yeah. I don't like being locked up and I can tell that there's some shit going on out there and I can maybe smell John and death and mm-hmm. I don't like it, but you, I guess. And also like, I don't like it when Sir Alistair knocks on my door. Uh, those are all things I think ghosts could do without John being inside him, but they're sure. also consistent with John's consciousness being inside him. Absolutely, yeah. Trying to bring attention to the fact that John's body is out in the courtyard. Especially since John is not going to be as good as uh, his brother at warging, since this is like a surprise to him at this point. He's uh-huh. like, oh shit, I'm in a wolf. <laughs> uh, he could think he's dreaming like Bran initially did. He mm-hmm. was having these long br- dreams, and it's really hard to say. But certainly there's nothing inconsistent with John being in there. I can't think of what would be inconsistent. Right. 
Uh, and in the books, isn't isn't his last word ghost? Ghost. Yes. So that's kind of the the place I'm operating from now, uh, having found that out. Why do you think that they changed that? Do you think that had been too obvious if his last so. words were yeah. ghosts? Yeah. Because it kind of borderline is in the books, too. I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, especially with all the warging and shit that's going on in the books. Right. Uh, Daniel also has a new theory. Uh, the stone statues on Dragonstone, you're aware of the fact that Dragonstone actually has stone statues of dragons. Where is Dragonstone? That's um, is that, that, that's, that's a little island that's just a, a little bit off the shore from King's Landing, and that was the ancestral seat of the Targaryens. Hmm. Um, but ever since um, uh, Robert Baratheon took over, that's kind of where where he the, the well, actually, I think this is a tradition that heir apparent to the throne would live in Dra- Dragonstone, and then the king would actually live in King's Landing. Is that? That's not that burnt out husk of a town where Tywin. And no, no, no. Arya uh, so there's the here's the thing to remember. It has a big wooden table that's shaped like Westeros. Okay. Where I think Stannis fucked Melisandre on it. Um, huh. But it it's not super important, um, except for the fact that it, even in the show it has stone dragons. You can see them whenever it has its little mechanical uh, pop up. Okay. Or no, did it have, ever have a mechanical? I thought it did, but I know we see some establishing shots. So you can see some big stone dragons. Hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, he thinks they'll be transformed into real dragons at some point in the story. I first suspected this in a chapter of the book where Davos was walking across a bridge on Dragonstone at night and thought to himself that the way to fight light shadows were playing with the statues. Wait, the way the firelight shadows were playing with the statues, they almost looked alive. Later, I remember Danny's prophecy in the House of the Undying about a great stone beast taking flight. Then, in A Song of Ice mm. and Fire, World uh, book came out and talked about Dragonstone being forged with a bunch of magic. Yeah, there's actually a lot more. Uh, I did consider this in one of my tinfoil theory podcasts. I think it might be the Danny Prophecy one, which hmm. was a long one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but this is this is a pretty widely not accepted, but this is a widely bandied about theory. Yeah, that waking the you know, and there's a, a lot of talk about waking of dragons, both metaphorically and, and real. Right, and like the idea of stone men, I think is also part of that. Like people who aren't actually dead but are called stone men, and yes. they move around, and like yes, that idea is kind of out there. It's putting that that like stone can be a metaphor, yeah, that, you know, but or that, or that's something you know, that stone alive. can be alive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. And also, I've often I've often wondered if Euron's dragon horn doesn't control dragons, but it actually is the key uh, to unlocking the stuff. Like, if you blow yeah. that on Dragonhorn, then boom, you got dragons. Uh-huh. They're, like, frozen in carbonite. Gargoyle style. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Bringing it back to gargoyles. I like it. Uh, Frankie R. said, I've been thinking about the theory of the Thousandth Lord Commander having some kind of poetic me- meaning in the series that you mentioned in the last podcast. I keep coming back to the theme of cycles in Game of Thrones. Martin obviously loves the idea of inevitability, destiny, prophecy, and cycles. The idea has been tossed about that, much like seasons, the White Walkers are just a, a sicilical occurrence. This, then, could also be true of the Night's Watch. In my mind, the Thousandth Lord Commander uh, would be the seasonal reset of the Night's Watch. The Hordes are pushed back, peace is restored to man, and the Night's Watch reinitiates at the Thousandth Generation Watch against the Night. That's poetic, right? Suppose so, and that's I, I guess that's uh, that ties into someone else's theory from last week too that the the Night's Watch might be disbanded and something else formed anew, uh-huh. uh huh, and maybe that the Wildlings will be those the, the um that the Wildlings will be the the, the backbone of that. 
Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a cool idea. It might not be something prophetic or mysterious. It's just a renewal type of thing. Right. I mean, the Night's Watch is, you know, it's like a a vehicle that a vehicle from the 40s that's been sitting in someone's garage for 80 years, right? It's like that kind of is just Rubber's run down. Dry, and, 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 right. I mean, now we're accepting rapists and thieves, sure. and that's pretty much all of them. And, yeah. you know, the, drag, the, the fucking White Walkers haven't been around for sure. a thousand years or whatever. Yeah. So we're just going to throw the worst of the worst up there and hope for the best. Yep. So it could be time to stir that pot a little. Uh, Jason Sion from the Nattercast, which I recommend if you if you like quality podcasts on television, check them out. They're, the thing that's cool about them is they have some background in actually filmmaking uh-huh. that they bring to their podcast. Uh, they got a short take, episode three. It's called Oathbreaker. Uh, it's rumored to feature the Tower of Joy. Ned, R plus L equals J, discuss. Okay. So Yeah, all of it. <laughs> my, my first thought is, Oathbreaker. I don't jump to the Tower of Joy and Ned. I jump to Brienne's sword, right? Oathkeeper. Uh-huh. And f- from the lay of the land in this episode, I mentioned in the preview ca- podcast that I thought Sansa might fulfill the Lady Stoneheart part. That she's going to be pissed at Brienne for missing her, you know, post and for betraying her, and she's going to give her the mission. That, like, well, and you're showing up with this Lannister sword and. None of that happened. Everything is, like, very touching and moving, and, like, Sans is just relieved to have someone looking after her, and Brienne just can't believe that she's finally going to get to be the knight that she set out to be and fulfill her oaths. Yeah. What the fuck is going to happen to have an episode called Oathbreaker? You get you get Brienne and Jamie in another whirlpool, and I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, shit, all bets are off. All kinds of oaths are broken. <laughs> right. Here's, here's the... The here's, old gods and the new. It doesn't matter. If I get out the box and I try uh-huh. to think about this, Ned made a promise to his sister. And we don't know exactly the nature of that promise, just that she he promised her something important that came at a great personal cost. I mean, we, a lot of us, most of us think that that's the fact that John is secretly a Targaryen. Yeah. And he's being hidden until the time is right, whatever that time is. But I wonder if he ever did break that vow and he actually did tell a secret to someone besides Howland Reed. Hmm. <laughs> And I wonder if this is going to be a way to show that that, that the Oathbreaker will be Ned going, you know, not keeping the exact letter of his promise to his sister and that that will be part of the flashback and that that person will be significant. Because, you know, we've always wondered, okay, well, Howland Reed probably knows the secret. Where the hell is he? Sure. I don't know. Maybe it'd be a way to introduce his character or another character that also would have value of knowing that or might. Right. But we don't even need that. Right. What, What if Howland Reed comes back? Yeah, but but you'd have to introduce the Tower of Joy to have to show that he was... Yeah, I guess that would be So it. episode two, introduce the Tower of Joy and that whole secret. Episode three, Howland Reed comes back. So what's and the, So then what the oath break? That's the thing I keep... What is the doesn't oath he have an Doesn't he have an oath as well? I or, don't think so. No, he's not under the same well, Ned I mean, oath. Him and Ned are best buddies, right? So, right. So, like, I think it's a bro code violation. Okay, okay but, but not also, a... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why Howland would, like tell people that either because he's a secretive man by nature like even amongst northern lords like no one really knows him yeah um it could also be as simple as brienne has to make a tough choice when it comes to sansa right like but what's the tough choice i don't know her being an oath breaker i don't know but but i agree with you my mind immediately goes to her sword yeah uh I'm not sure. Is that so? Is, is it is it still because Sansa? It's in her character to be kind of impetuous and then make foolish decisions. Okay. Is it possible that she finds out that 
this is the Lannister sword and then suddenly becomes suspicious of Sansa. Or, I'm sorry, Brynn, and wants to, like, hey, me and Theon are going to take our chances with the, you know, Night's Watch. You get the fuck out of here. Or, if you want to prove your loyalty, the service I ask you is to kill Jaime Lannister. Right. Or or maybe it's something dishonorable, like, that she finds dishonorable, but Sansa doesn't, and she commands her to do it, and Sansa (sighs) broke her oath. It'd be interesting, because that, yeah, that'd be, that would be interesting, too, because... Jamie told her to take this and fulfill her oath to Catelyn Stark, which was to find, protect, and serve her daughters. Right. So there's nothing in that that says that she can't kill Jamie if that's what like her liege lordess or mistress asked of her. Sure. Uh, but it could be that Brienne's like, no, I won't do that, and then she's an oathbreaker. Yeah. Interest. I don't know. It's, it's all up in the air. I, I mean, any of those things could come to pass. And I could see, like, I, unfortunately, I think that a, a lot of people would dis- that would make people dislike Sansa. Because she's instead of listening and, and getting yeah. the full facts, but she already knows that she's got the Lannister sword because that's what uh, you know that's what Littlefinger pointed out to her last season at the end, which kind of oh, harshed the whole thing anyway. Right. So so she doesn't care about that at this point, or she does, but she was she's swept up in emotion. Nah, she accepted her into her service. That's not something you do. I guess it's, it's something you can do. She is still a teenage girl, right? She was pretty cold at the time, too. <laughs> Maybe it's, not thinking well. It's hard for me to see from episode one how they get to where Brienne is just on the outs with Sansa. Mm-hmm. But it's got to happen some way. Is that going to be a Lady Stoneheart episode? Does it have to happen? I mean, because you're... Uh, well, you're saying if if Lady Stoneheart is actually Sansa, right? Uh-huh. Or, no, I'm saying, like, maybe they, yeah, they, they've gone... Like, I think it's been established that Double Ds are not going to do Lady Stoneheart, but they could... Really? Be, yeah. Shit. They that could sounds just, amazing. <laughs> You just like the zombies, man. <laughs> yeah, well. But it could be a way to get that in there, and then maybe maybe Kat is the one that comes back and says you're an Oathbreaker. Although she found her... I don't... Man, that's that's this remix thing. I don't know. Right. I'm going crazy here. Go crazy up at the lake. I have some stuff about Brienne and Sansa to talk about. Uh, shoot. I don't know if we have feedback on this, but we talked about the Quiet Isle stuff, right? Where, where the theory of the Hound, is he still alive? And Brienne goes up there... Uh, and kind of sees a monk who may or may not be the hound. The gravedigger theory. Right. Sure. Uh, so she, she apparently, what you told me before the podcast, she goes there, she goes to the Quiet Isle because she's looking for Sansa uh, and Arya, right? Yes. So now that she's found Sansa and Arya, is there any reason for her to even go to the Quiet Isle at all? And does this lend some, some credence to the idea that if, if we don't go there in the show, that the hound is dead? Well, certainly if we don't go to the Quiet Isle this season, I would think that the Gravedigger theory is... I mean, the Gravedigger theory I don't think is falsifiable. Because if we never hear from uh, the Hound again, you could just say, well, that's a really nice coda yeah. for a very tortured character. Sure. And it's like not obvious. It's kind of a wink at the audience. Um, so I wouldn't disprove it, but I'd say, no, we're not going to get we're not gonna get the, the Gravedigger theory to come true. He's not... The, the hmm. you know, Clegane Bowl is definitely not happening. Okay. Get unhyped. <laughs> Uh, so, but that's a really good question. How in the world, I mean, it seems inevitable that Brienne and Sansa have to split up because how in the hell could Brienne get back to the Vale? Like if they bumped into Littlefinger and Littlefinger does some kind of Jedi mind trick on him and says, oh, you got to get back to the Vale. That's where you'll be safe. And Uh Brienne can escort you there. Okay. That would be kind of interesting, I suppose. 
Although, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And or maybe someone else, like someone else, will go to the Quiet Isle to to see the Grave Digger because it's not essential that right uh, that Brian Brian was over only over there because she was searching for Sansa and Arya. She's found them now. Yeah, so we know that won't happen exactly as it did in the books, but yeah, it may happen in some other way still. Yeah, um, I wonder if like the I wonder if it'll be just something as dumb, not dumb, but like efficient, I should say. As, you know, there's a trial with Cersei, she calls Robert the Strong, the High Sparrow freaks out, and he's heard of, like, you know, the High Sparrow would probably would know that the Hound is hiding out on their island. He could, And he sends an envoy to be like, maybe it's even that Lancel guy with the star cut on his head. Like, hey, go get the, go get the Hound out of storage. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know, because it does seem, for that all the work... You got to split Brienne from Sansa, and you got to give mm-hmm. Brienne a legitimate reason to go back to the Vale. And maybe that's Oathbreaker. Maybe she leaves Sansa's side for some reason, and <sighs> I don't know. That's the start of that arc, too. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, let's see. Paul McEff from Coventry, England. I'm a new listener. I've gone back and listened to all of last season's podcast. There was something you mentioned in the 508 spoiler edition about Jorah Mormont receiving Long Claw from John. At some point, thus reclaiming his birthright as such, could it be possible that Jon Snow is gifted Dark Sister, one of the lost House Targaryen blades from Brendan Bloodraven Rivers, who is supposed to be the last known owner? You know him better as the Three-Eyed Crow, Jim. Okay. Maybe in some kind of Harry Potter-style fox slash raven dropping it to him in his time of need. Uh, I don't know if this necessarily fits into the latest episode, but surely it will soon. Oh, boy. Oh, man, I just got a lot of ideas. Um, They're all probably terrible. But So here's my idea first. You mentioned that he's got Dark Sister, and it's true that he's the last known possessor of that famous sword. But there's also the most famous is Blackfire. That's like the Targaryen blade. That's the one that Aegon the Conqueror brought over and whipped all of Westeros' ass with. Okay. And it would be interesting with his weirwood net if he is able to find out the location of that blade and somehow he's got both of them and he gives one to Danny and one to John. Like that's your inner like, oh, Danny and John forever and ever, they're going to kick everyone's butt and be the ultimate heroes and they've got the original conquering blades and ah, you know, that's like super fanboy hype or fangirl mm-hmm. hype. Um what is your theory? What's your idea? Uh I might save him to next week. I might okay. save him to the non-spoiler section because it is all speculation on stuff that we know from the show. So, because I, I also I don't know that there's anything that they've suggested that there's anything magical about any of these Valerian steel blades. They're just really, really, really good swords. And also, well, we know now that there probably is for well, for fighting the White Walkers. What I mean right? is like there's nothing like they don't have special powers. Like it doesn't grant you plus four agility. Okay. It does kill right. White Walkers and Whites. It does. It works yeah. like a champ. Okay. It's as good as Obsidian, only it's reusable. Um, but I don't think there's anything that suggests that, like, Blackfire or... Um, shit. Blackfire or Dark Sister is especially powerful amongst them. Okay. You know? Um, but no, I do I do like that theory. Uh, I don't know how it would be... It, I don't know how it would, would work out and, and why John would, like, I guess, upgrade. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting. Um, I guess Bran needs a Valerian steel sword. That'd be cool. Okay. Or shit, Mira could, since they're up there in the middle of White Walker country. Uh, Ryan P., just something came to my head regarding both Bran and Jojen. Uh, Jojen is the uh, brother of Mira who died last season to Grievous Fire. No, no, season before to Grievous uh, 
gut stabbings and fireball wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if whatever happened at the Tower of Joy influenced the Stark children and Reed family to be able to warg? Ned refuses to speak of what happens at Tower of Joy and Howland Reed disappears in the books, yet only the Stark children and Reed children have this ability in the show. Is this mere coincidence? Ryan here is suggesting that there's some kind of maybe supernatural event or uh, perhaps ritual that happened that went down here that kickstarted these wargings. I think that the show is the show has suggested that it's not just the Stark children. This is magic in general returning to the world. Hmm. There's okay. some no one understands why and no one understands why it's happening, but it's a fact that magical things are returning to the earth and getting stronger. So yeah. that's that's the problem I have with the theory. It, it's Occam's razor suggests that the simpler solution is the one that the show presents, which is magic is returning. You're, okay. you're, you're adding an extra part to it. But, you know, if uh, Ned and uh, Howland Reed, like, slit the Kingsguard from balls to neck and wear their innards around their thing and chant a whole bunch of oogie boogie, then I will be happy to be wrong. I don't know if I'll be happy to be wrong. That sounds freaky. But maybe, I will definitely admit it. Maybe Howland Reed is the, the tree guy. Maybe he warged into a tree. <laughs> the sure, ritual that's, happened. That's, that's Howland... the ultimate Occam's razor. Howland Reed is actually just a guy yeah. in the tree. Nobody, not... can, nobody can find no Howland Reed because he's not here like, anymore. Brendan Rivers, no one, he didn't read any of the, the, the egg and dunk shit. No one, gives, no one cares about that stuff anyway. <laughs> like, I get it. It's like, look, look. Okay. okay, this is a book podcast, so I got to be careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one doesn't care. But I'm saying, if you're a show watcher, you have no idea who the hell the three-eyed crow is other than some old dude in a tree. Right. It would be kind of cool if they could somehow explain that that's what Howland Reed did after. He's warged into that thing. But he's not old enough is. to have the kind of knowledge that the Blood Raven would have, I guess. He doesn't know, like, all the secret history of the Targaryens and stuff that... I mean, that's the nice thing about the, the Three-Eyed Raven as Blood Raven is that he knows a lot about a lot. Because he's been around, he's been a Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, he's been the Hand of the King, he's a fucking borderline huh. warlock, in a okay. time where that was kind of, you know, super rare. Um, I, I, how do they pin all that into Howland Reed? I don't know. I don't know. It was a, that was the most tinfoil of theories. Hey, I like it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Olivia D. said... I really dislike the Dorn plot, and she's going to elaborate why. This is yet another anti-Dorn. I think this is the last one, too. Last season when casting was announced for Dorn, I realized a Martin's razor would be applied since we lost two-thirds of Dorn's children, Quentin and Ariane. While I wasn't a big fan of Ariane's chapters in A Feast for Crow and Dance for Dragons, the overall arc of the Sand Snakes and Ariane te- teaming up to crown Marcella and start a war over Oberyn's death made total sense to me. These were young, impatient women who are hot-blooded and wanting revenge for something they've only heard about secondhand. Ariane did not know her father's plans and suspected he was going to give her birthright to her younger brother. I absolutely loved loved Ilaria in the books. She was broken about losing her lover, Oberyn, but was willing to listen to Doran and protect her family. When Doran sent Aereo to bust up the Sand Snake's plans and have them locked up in the tower at Sunspear to prevent war, Ilaria agreed with his decision. And she includes this quote from Ilaria. She says, Oberyn wanted vengeance for Aelia. Now the three of you want vengeance for him. I have four daughters, I remind you, your sisters. My Aelia is 14, almost a woman. Obella is twelve, at the brink of maidenhood. If you should die, must El and Obella seek vengeance for you, and then Doria and Lori for them? If that is how it goes, round and round forever? I ask again, where does it end? I saw your father die. Here is his killer. And at this point, she's referring, she's got, she's holding in her hands 
Gregor Clegane's skull. Because okay. that was one of the, the terms for peace that they have to cut off his head and send it to them as proof that the murderer of the ch- of their children and the princess was at least brought vengeance upon. Note this does not happen wow. in the show. He, right. <laughs> but it's even it's that's the cool possibility is in the books, Gregor Clegane that has no head. Yeah. And there's okay. some there's Which some, is why the Joffrey speculation and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also there's some some really cool stuff that Brand sees in a vision of like, you know, the giant armored figure and his visor lifts up and just like a, a, a the shining style curtain of blood erupts from it you know and he says I'm the juggernaut bitch <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway she's referring to Gregor's skull she says can I take a skull to bed with me to give me comfort in the night will it make me laugh or write me songs or care for me when I'm old and sick Olivia continues, so instead of this insightful strong woman from the books, we're given a short-sighted, vengeful woman who murders an innocent child, Oberyn's remaining family, his brother and nephew. Alaria was there when Oberyn claimed Dorne does not hurt little girls, and she was there when Oberyn died after volunteering to be Tyrion's champion. The Double Ds took a strong female character and completely changed that. Since Quentin makes, meets a crispy end via Dragonfire, and the show is cutting out the Fagon plot, which makes me happy as I'm not a supporter of the fake dragon... I understand the need to alter this plot. Cutting Arianne out of the show, I always assumed that they would place the majority of her scheming on the Sand Snakes, which they have done, but what really made the Dorne plot for me entertaining is figuring out what Dorne was planning. From Arianne's point of view chapters, it seems like all he was doing was watching his kids play in the gardens while suffering from his gout. Then he mic drops everyone when he reveals he had been planning revenge with Oberyn for decades to rob the Lannisters of everything they held dear and restore the Targaryens to power. He had secretly arranged for Arianne to marry Viserys, Viserys, so he should be the queen of the Seven Kingdoms. This is a little dry pie. We've already talked about this. right? But she says, Dorne's book plan demonstrated he was a cunning man who realized vengeance was a dish best served cold. Instead of getting this great moment for Dorne, we get Elaria murdering the remaining members of House Martell. I guess we are supposed to assume Dorne will support being ruled by a group of bastard women and no major house with Dorne, and Dorne will want to rule. I mean, that's the big problem. Who's taking over... The yeah. fact that Dorn, not that it was super interesting or relevant to the plot, but it's made much less so. Yeah. The characters are more one dimensional. They don't have any. Make, there's. Dorn is an ineffectual ruler that is not loved by his people and is assassinated with no resistance. And not a lot of supporting evidence on screen. Yeah. Even as a show watcher, I'm feeling the effects of the, the kind of skimping on this plot line. Even that, though I don't know what it could have been, and I that, just know and that that's it should have been. Better. You get a thread, a Reddit meltdown thread, yeah. because these people that do know that, like, okay, Doran looks like this, but he does have. Everyone's got their little kind of crowning, crowning moment of badass, and they robbed him from that. And why? Yeah. Um, and again, it's like you can't have all these daughters and all these vengeance plans and these wheels within wheels. Like, there's only so many hours in television. You got to simplify it. But I am. I am puzzled about the choices they've made thus far. Uh, and that's the spoiler podcast. Again, this is very much... Uh, if you want to send us feedback, by the way, as always, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com, forums at baldmove.com. If you want to discuss the uh, spoiler... Uh, spoiler. Ah, if you want to discuss the episodes, there's both a spoiler and non-spoiler thread, so stay in your lane. Um, but again, this is going to be a work in progress because... It might be a solution that we implement if this is tedious to people, this kind of like, you know, going back and explaining stuff is maybe that I do need to sit down with Jim for a bit before the podcast and we kind of need to rehearse this. That's not our 
normal workflow, but that's something we could do if we think that that's a you know if if that's a solution. If, if people are finding this tedious, well, I, don't know. I mean, honestly, I. My opinion is, if that's the case, maybe you should just continue to do the podcast on your own because if if it's not going to be back and forth and questions asked and answered, yeah, then there's no point in me being on it well, at all thing, because like, I don't have the knowledge that you have, and if I'm not going to be able to ask those questions, mm. what am I here for? You know. So I do. I I, I respect that. But I will say that, like, I think that even in this podcast, it's 75% that back and forth and, like, 25% me explaining things to you that uh, other book readers already know. So, like, if we Uh could just iron out the 25% where I I give you, like, a 15, 20-minute primer, hey, here is the, like, fake, like, you know, I just didn't explain the fake dragon theory to you because that's a whole other thing. I could sit down and say, hey, here's how this is. We could get it up on the whiteboard and figure all that stuff out so you would know what you need to. So... You know, you can still have those reactions and, and you can bring those into the podcast, but the actual explaining is out. But then again, I don't know how many show watchers who are vi- dipping their toe in the water that might find this valuable. And also, I don't right. know how annoying right. it is to sit through a theory that's that's being explained to you again. Sure. Uh, I do know, like, that's the sobering thing. There are four times the number of listeners on this season than there were when I first did the spoiler uh, podcast and I doubt that wow. everyone's gone back and listened to all those old ones. So how much review is this really? Sure, you know because like yeah, if you're read up on on all your Song of Ice and Fire stuff, then all this stuff is review and you're just discussing with people. So I, I don't know. I mean, this is going to be we're leaning on you uh, on you guys and gals for feedback again. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com if you'd like to send us in that or get on the forums. Um, because yeah, ultimately this is always kind of being an evolution. Like I've always worked on it. I didn't really know what I was doing when I first did it. Uh, I got reasonably good at it. I will say that this is so much easier having second person in this room. Um, okay. It took so much. I mean, scripting stuff out just takes a yeah. lot longer than just having the topic and knowing that I can have a good conversation with this guy. Right. Um, but I'm willing to do it. Um, it's just, uh, I don't, I don't know what people prefer. So okay. it's an experiment. We're we're trying it out this season, and uh, love to hear what you think about it. And excited to see what happens next week. It does seem, I mean, that, that's that's the big thing. Is I'm excited in this season in a completely different way. Previous seasons, I'm like, oh man, it's going to be so cool when I finally get. And there's two outcomes: either they do it exactly like I think, uh, or they deviate, and then I decide whether it's as good or not as good. And usually, it's not as good. Um, but this season I'm excited to be like, well, you know, what are we going to learn? I mean, how is they're going to solve right. these knots of Brienne and, and what does the Dorn, where, where are the sand snakes going? Like we're, we're really, to, I mean, we're going to get to spoil the books, which is exciting. Right. Like I want to know what the hell's going on in the story more than anything. And these are important clues. They're the only new clues we're going to get until George gets the book out, you know? That's exciting. Even if you don't agree with right. it, I, I like coming out an open mind and using it as just like, okay, this maybe is a telephone game version of what's happening in Game of Thrones. But that still tells us some things are going to happen in, in, in the books, right? It, absolutely. I would think so, yeah. So, I mean, the the phrase here be dragons has never been more relevant sure. than it is right now. We're off the map. Completely. There's the dragons. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I guess that's, that's the viewpoint I have on it and I'm not going to get too worked up on it because there will be a reckoning when the book is released, 
Uh, I imagine I'll probably podcast about it. There's going to be mm-hmm. a reckoning about where did the books go? Where did the show go? Can we judge this in a new light? Is it better? Is it worse? But it seems it seems getting putting the cart before the horse to just be like, this is terrible. There's no way this is going to happen. Dorn isn't a, I mean, you know, all all that kind, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm. I don't know. I I, I feel like they're. There's some just fundamental storytelling mistakes here. Yeah, but but again, how many of those are self-inflicted and how many of those are, well, the beginning of Dorne was awesome and the end of Dorne is awesome. The middle of Dorne is really just goes nowhere. Yeah. And so it's super it. complicated and there's POV chapter after POV chapter that just gets undone with a single speech. And yeah. then that speech, you think it's awesome, and then the guy gets burned alive by dragons. <laughs> and, like, that's a lot of wah, wah. True. So, that's what I'm saying about a reckoning. Like, yeah. it could be that after sober analysis, this is the best they could have done with the material they had to work with. Uh, and, and again, you know, there's people out there that love the adaptations that Peter Jackson did of The Hobbit. Oh, I think those God. are bloated beyond all recognition and destroy the things that worked about the original Hobbit. And there's other people to say it could have been three hours longer. If you're that kind of fan, I can imagine this Game of Thrones is a lot to swallow. Yeah. But if you're like me and you're like, you know, I appreciate the visuals and the spectacle, but my God, this was not the Hobbit I grew up with. Um, and I would have liked to seen a little bit more of an editorial hand in that. Maybe knock it down to one movie or most two. Maybe we can see that the Double Ds knew what they were doing and were trying their best all along. But, you know, that could be years away. Sure. So... Uh, can't wait to hear what you guys think and we'll be back next week uh, we'll be back this Sunday with the instant cast Tuesday with the main cast and again next Friday with the spoiler cast until then I'm Aaron I'm Jim have See a ya. great weekend 